One of the things we have to remember when studying Scripture and looking into the life of Jesus is that what we read occurred at a distinct time and place. Specifically, the life of Jesus is one that is found in a Jewish culture in the ancient Near East. It's not a Western culture or an American culture, and we have to keep that in mind as we read and study. If you had been a first century Jew, you probably would have been accustomed to hearing a phrase that had been around for quite some time that sounds something like this. May your house be a meeting place for the wise, become dusty in the dust of their feet, and drink thirstily their words. The saying is attributed to Jose Ben Yozer, one of the earliest rabbinic teachers. And there's some figurative language there about opening your home to wise teachers, the rabbis, which is what Jewish people would have known and understood. And then the encouragement here is get close enough to them that the dust of their feet falls on you and you can drink in their words because what they have to share is important. Studying scripture in Jesus' day was really a vital thing. It was so important that the gifted teachers would often travel from town to town instructing and opening up the word of God and sharing that with other people. And it was a custom for these rabbis, for these teachers, to get very low on the ground when they taught. Probably something just like this. They would just park right on the ground and then invite their listeners to come. And their listeners are disciples, apprentices, students. And they would want them close so that the students could hear the rabbi teaching and also so the students could ask questions. These apprentices had close proximity to the rabbi, and they were even close to their feet, to where the dust from the dirty roads that they walked on at this particular time could fall on them as students, figuratively, and they could also drink in these wise words. This is probably what is happening to Jesus in Luke chapter 2. And it's in this passage that we get a picture of how Jesus himself experienced spiritual formation. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus is approximately 12 years of age and he is with his family in the city of Jerusalem for the Passover festival. They're celebrating and having a great time. As the festival concluded, it was time for them to pack up and go back home. And so Jesus' family would have started that process, and then they begin traveling. Well, it was custom at this time to travel in packs, and they did that for safety reasons. There were a lot of people together so that they wouldn't be attacked by people who would desire to rob them or do them harm. And that kind of makes sense when you look at Luke chapter 2, there is a sense where Joseph and Mary aren't aware that Jesus isn't with them. That seems kind of strange. But when you're traveling in a pack, 
That's no big deal at all. Jesus is 12. He's a young boy. He's probably with a friend. So no worries about Jesus not being with his parents, except that Jesus isn't with his parents. He is missing. He's not with the pack. He's not there. Now, I have misplaced important things in my life, from documents to keys to checks and things like that. But can you imagine the sheer horror that Joseph and Mary must have experienced when they realized, oh my, we just lost the Son of God. Like the Redeemer of the world, he's gone and that's on us. I'm sure they were terrified, and that's the indicator we get in Luke chapter 2, because they travel back to Jerusalem to search for Jesus. They find him, and here's what happens. They, Joseph and Mary, finally discovered him in the temple. Get this now. He's sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them. And asking questions. He's sitting among the religious teachers and he's listening to them and asking questions. Jesus is doing a common cultural thing here. And he may have even been sitting on the ground close to the feet of the rabbi so that he could hear and he could ask questions. The dust of their feet drinking in their words. This expression is also used in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, when the apostle Paul describes himself as someone who learned, and there's one version that describes it this way, he learned at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a first century teacher and considered an expert in the religious law. And here we find Paul becoming dusty in the dust of his feet, figuratively, and drinking in those words. I share that with you because, again, it's important for us to understand when we talk about the life of Jesus. We have to look at it through a Jewish lens in the first century in the ancient Near East. We have to keep that in mind as we read. So here's what I want to do. I want to share another event from the life of Christ when he was an adult where we see this phrase, may your house be a meeting place for the wise, become dusty in the dust of their feet and drink thirstily their words, where we see this come to life. With your Bible or your device, I'd invite you to join me in Luke's Gospel chapter 10. Here at Valley Point Church, we take the Word of God seriously. It's a big deal to us and we open it and we allow it to shape and inform us. And I want you to join me in Luke's gospel. We're going to spend some time in chapter 10. While you're looking for that, let me share a big idea with you that will shape the rest of our conversation. Living the Jesus Creed means that I must open my heart to spiritual lifelong learning. Okay? All summer long, we have been thinking about the Jesus Creed which is love God with everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do that and add something to it, and that is loving your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the Jesus Creed. This is the spiritual formation plan that Jesus presented to shape all of us. Love God with everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do that, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're going to live that out, it means that I must. Like, this is not an option. 
I have to open my heart to lifelong spiritual learning. I have to view myself as an apprentice, as a disciple, as someone who needs more and more learning. And I think this will come out in our story today. So here's what we discover in Luke's gospel, chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading with verse 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. And when we think about this through the lens of the Jewish culture, it gives so much richness to the story and to the text. Martha's doing some things, and here's Mary, she's a learner. She's close to the feet of Jesus, and she is listening to what he taught. Let's go back to Martha, verse 40. She's distracted, and I want to pause there because in the construction of the sentence, it means that she was drawn away. So Martha, she's distracted. She's drawn away by the big dinner she was preparing. I love how one scholar stated this. He said, Martha's attention, instead of centering around Jesus, was drawn hither and thither. (laughs) So when you think about Martha, she's hither and thither. She's all over the place. She's a whirling dervish trying to get everything ready. If you go back to the text, it says she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here? Like, that's not an important thing to be close to your feet, Jesus. She's just sitting there while I do all the work. Tell her to come and help me, please. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing. Jesus providing focus here. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. The word discovered here in verse 42 is very dynamic. It means to select or to choose. So Jesus pauses the conversation with Martha who wants Jesus to get after her sister and help her help me. And Jesus says, no, she has, she has selected She has chosen something that is very good. She has discovered it, and it, what she has selected, will not be taken away from her. So you read this event in the life of Jesus where he is a rabbi in someone's home. Bring them in. Open your home to wise people. Jesus begins talking, and he has listeners in front of him, one of which is Mary And Martha's not too cracked up about all of this because she is running around trying to do some things. So you read this story and it begs the question, what is the difference between these two sisters? What's the main difference between Martha and Mary? Certainly they are different personalities. That's obvious when you read this. And they are probably different numbers on the Enneagram scale. I think we get that. But the main difference, here it is. It's Mary's posture. Martha, 
running around. And Mary's posture was one of a student. Her posture is that of learning and opening her heart to the rabbi in front of her. She is a student. And Jesus quickly points out this. This, what Mary is doing by sitting close to me, is it. She has discovered it. She has chosen wisely, and it will not be taken away from her. This is so noteworthy that I want us to keep thinking about this particular choice. Scholars Anne Spangler and Lois Teverberg wrote a book called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, How the Jewishness of Jesus Can Transform Your Faith. And in that book, they talk about if you were a first century visitor, which is kind of what we're doing today. We're peering back in time at this story that Luke recorded for us. So we're like visitors to the ancient Near East, and we're picking up on some things here. She points out, the two authors point out, that you would have recognized the significance of something else in the story that cannot be overlooked. Disciples, students, apprentices would sit close to the feet of a rabbi so they could hear and ask questions. We've already talked about that. So when Mary is described as sitting at the Lord's feet or being very close to Jesus, she was being defined by Jesus himself as a disciple in a culture and in a time where learning in this way was not emphasized or valued for women, Jesus clearly welcomed her as a learner and as a disciple, and he applauded her for making the right choice, and she was included. And her posture, sitting at the feet of Jesus, allowed her to attend to Jesus and open her heart to him. I think this is an extraordinary and beautiful story that outlines for us what our posture should be when we think about coming to Jesus. Here's a question for all of us. How might we attend to Jesus? I think we find Mary doing that in Luke chapter 10. So let's apply this now. How can we attend to Jesus so we have constant access to his love and life? I want you just to wrestle with that for a little bit. How can we attend to Jesus? How can we get close to him as our teacher so that we have constant access to his love and life? I want to share two attend thinking points that come out of Scott McKnight's book, The Jesus Creed. In other words, how can we adjust our posture and get close to Jesus so we are living out the Jesus Creed of loving God with everything and also loving our neighbor as we love ourselves? How can we do that? Here are some thinking points. Number one, attend to God through Scripture. Now, I think that almost becomes something we don't even pay attention to because we say that all of the time. After all, we are a church. We are a religious organization. So, of course, you're supposed to spend time in the Bible and the Word of God. Scripture is important, yes. And so we kind of ignore this. But this is the primary way. Time in God's Word. 
It's the primary way to be shaped by Jesus and to know what he wants for us. I love what scholar Robert Mulholland says about this. The scripture stands close to the center of this whole process of being conformed into the image of Christ. Scripture is one of the primary channels through which God encounters us in our grasping, controlling, manipulative mode of existence. That's an amazing sentence. The scripture is one of the focal means whereby God awakens us to the dynamics and possibilities of a new way of being. And so as I contemplated this, since scripture is the focal means by which God awakens us, a few questions for all of us. Okay, number one, do you have a regular and consistent plan for time in God's word outside of Sunday? Is that true for you? If you are a disciple, an apprentice, a follower of Jesus, do you have a regular time that engages you in what should be shaping our minds and our lives outside of Sunday? You know, this is a wonderful thing that we experience on Sundays. I hope you feel that way about it because we get to come together and we sing and pray and we talk to each other and... Again, here at Valley Point, we value God's word, so we open it up and we discover what God says and we try to apply that to our lives. And that's wonderful on Sunday. But if that's the only time you get nourishment from the word of God, you will starve spiritually. It's not enough. So it's really important for everyone who follows Jesus to say, do I have a regular and consistent plan for time in God's word outside of Sunday? If you're not sure where to start with that, I would encourage you to go to our church app And look on our talk notes. We provide a Monday through Friday scripture reading plan that often mirrors some of the texts that we have talked about on Sunday. And so you can reread these things. I would encourage you to start there on Monday. Just read the verses. And slow down as you read. Sit in it. Think through the lens of a Jewish culture and being close to the feet of the rabbi, and listening, and take your questions to God. That's a beautiful thing to do, but I would encourage you to start that way, and just see what God does in your heart, and in your life to shape you. So if scripture is the focal means whereby God awakens us, do we have a regular way to engage with this outside of Sunday? Question number two, are you reading for information, or formation? And there's a big difference between the two, and we're going to spend more time thinking about this in the future. As a matter of fact, when we come to Life Verse 2022 in January, I plan to dive into the difference between information and formation and reading that way. But let me just say this it is my observation that most of the time we read, even scripture, we're reading it for the sake of information because our culture is shaped and kind of pushes us. You read for information. That's what you do, and that's how it works. But reading for information, especially reading the scriptures that way, it's problematic. And here's why. It's because we are essentially seeking to master the text or bring it under our control. 
<laughs> and the Word of God isn't designed that way. You can't do that with it. Reading for formation means we allow the text to intrude our lives and to disrupt. That's the difference between information and formation, and we'll keep thinking about that, but you should start thinking and considering this right now. Do I read for information or formation? Am I allowing the Word of God to disrupt me? Which brings us to the third question. When is the last time that you were disrupted by the Word of God? Like you read something and it hurt or you felt challenged in some way, or convicted, or maybe you even closed the scriptures because it's too much. It's too much, but yet you sat in it and allowed that to stir and eventually change you. When is the last time that happened? If we're being awakened by the word of God, that should be happening quite a bit for us. So I think these are all questions for everybody to consider. The challenge here is for all of us to attend to God, to get closer to Jesus by spending time in the Word of God that shows us who He is. Here's thinking point number two. Attend to God and worship. It's what we've been doing today, being together as a community, opening up the Word of God together, singing together, praying together, serving together, talking together. This is a beautiful thing, and God invites us into this type of community that holds us up and gives us people to laugh with and cry with and hold each other accountable as we seek to apprentice with Jesus. I think when we do all of this togetherness, singing together, praying together, serving together, opening the Word of God together, it also helps us, and we will be, a better together kind of faith community, which is exactly what God wants for us. It's interesting to me that both of these points require us to open our hearts to lifelong spiritual learning. Like if that's going to happen, if we're going to tend to God in scripture, and if we're going to attend to God in worship, it means we have to say, all my life as a follower of Jesus, I have to be a learner and a student. I have to get close to the rabbi and allow the dust of his feet to impact me and drink in his words. So congratulations. If you have trusted in Jesus alone to rescue you, being a lifelong spiritual learner is on the agenda. It's something that should happen without that. Without being a lifelong learner, I think we hit a wall and maybe that's happened to you in the past or is even happening right now. You've just hit a spiritual wall. And the scary thing about that is if we don't work through that wall by humbling ourselves before Christ and before others who can support us and help us, we will become arrogant. And arrogant followers of Jesus are really scary. They are. So we want to avoid all of that. I want to share some response points now. How do we take what we're thinking about here in Luke chapter 10 and these thinking points? How do we respond to this? Well, for the believer, if that's you, here's how I'd encourage you today. Choose the lifelong learning posture of following Jesus and sitting at his feet. Maybe you've moved away from that for whatever reason. Choose that posture, and I think it looks a lot like this. It's attending to God and His Word and making that a priority beyond Sunday. 
and attending to God in worship together with a body of believers. It's making worship a lifestyle. In 2017, John Coleman wrote an article for the Harvard Business Review entitled, Make Learning a Lifelong Habit. And he talked about how the continuous and persistent embrace of learning, you have to cultivate that. It doesn't just happen. We don't default to that. We probably default to not learning at all. So we want to cultivate this in our lives. He recommends articulating the outcomes that you'd like to achieve. Like, where is it that you want to go? And then develop a learning community or get other people around you who are doing the same things because they increase the commitment. So as you, as we together, as a body, choose this posture like Mary of spiritual learning, articulate the spiritual outcomes that you desire. What is it that you want? for your spiritual life. Where do you want that to go? And when's the last time you've considered that? Well, this would be a great exercise for everybody today. What are the outcomes you desire as a spiritual lifelong learner? Someone who will have the posture of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Are you looking for a deeper personal worship time? A longing to step out in faith for God in some area of your life? Do you desire to engage in a faith conversation or a spiritual conversation with a friend? Do you want to become more generous? Do you desire to more fully implement spiritual disciplines? The encouragement here is to articulate that and we begin to build things around us with our lifelong learning that help us do those things. And then invite the community to increase your commitment. Invite your church family Invite those of faith around you to help with some of those decisions that you are making to have the kind of posture that puts you at the feet of Jesus. That's the first response. Here's the second one. For those considering the claims of Christ, and maybe you're just not there yet, that's okay. Here's something for you. God has provided information about himself. He has. He's given us content about who he is and how he operates, his character. He has shared that with us. So what will you do with it? Again, if you're not sure about Christ and what he means and if he's for you, I would encourage you to go back and look at the life of Jesus. What did he say? And then what did he do? And how can you use that in your life? So God has provided information about himself. What will you do with it? Back to the big idea. Living the Jesus Creed means that I must open my heart to spiritual lifelong learning. May God give us all the courage to chase that and pursue that, to sit at the feet of our rabbi Jesus and allow the dust of his travels to impact us and to drink in his words so that we can have impact in the world around us.